Well, growing up, I spent much of my May and my June uh, at the baseball field. Uh, from about age 5 to age 18, that's where those two months of the year were generally spent. I was even playing in a baseball game or watching a baseball game or eating a snow cone, rolling up the little cardboard uh, cone and playing cup ball between games. Um, that was just where a lot of time was spent during that time. And in Little League, I don't know if you know this or not, they had a little thing in Little League called the mercy rule. And the mercy rule was, because sometimes in Little League, the teams aren't fair. Okay, the teams aren't exactly what they should be, and so all the good players end up on one team, and all the people that like to like that like to play Nintendo better ended up on the other team. You know what I'm saying? And so you had the athletes on one team, and all the Nintendo players on the other. And so sometimes those games got lopsided, and by the second in inning, it's like 15 to nothing. And they had this mercy rule. What that meant was, you know, at a certain point, I forget what inning it was. If there was, it was at least a 10 run gap, the game was over. It was mer having mercy. Don't want to embarrass the other team too badly. Now they don't have that in Major League Baseball or in the NFL or in NBA basketball. They'll just let them beat the devil out of them, right? Um, they, they don't have that. Maybe they should, but they don't. But in Little League, they have that. And if you were on the losing team, right, if you were playing with all the Nintendo players, you were glad for the mercy rule, right? You, just, you get out of there quicker, go get a hamburger, go get a slice of pizza, whatever. But if you were on the winning team, right, the good team, and you, you had, you'd get to bat like 10 or 12 times in that game, you didn't like the mercy rule. It's a good time to get your batting average up, right? So depending on which side you're on. And, well, today we're talking about mercy. And, you know, mercy is one of those things that everybody wants to receive. We all know we need it from time to time. And everybody wants to receive mercy. But there are a few people left in our world that really want to give mercy or show mercy. Uh, we live in a pretty merciless society uh, in a lot of ways. You can see this in the news. You can see it on social media. I mean, just unrelenting, unmerciful harshness sometimes we see in our culture and just a complete lack of mercy. But Jesus is going to show us this morning among his people this is not to be the case. In fact, this isn't the case. And so if you have a Bible this morning, we're in Matthew 5, 7 as we make our way through the Beatitudes one by one. We'll talk about that a little bit here in a second. This morning, we're in Matthew 5, 7. It's on the screen for you if you don't uh, have a Bible with you, uh, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Right? Looks good on a coffee cup. Looks good on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. It's one of those verses, right? You've heard that one before. That's not, not, not a real long one this morning, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, if you're new with this, we've been studying the Beatitudes for the last several weeks, and the Beatitudes are the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, preached by Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is King Jesus's basically his way of telling us, here's what life is supposed to be like in the kingdom. If you come under my reign, if I'm your king and I'm reigning in your life, here's how you're supposed to live. That's the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are the introduction to that sermon. They're kind of that sermon in a nutshell, but they give us the characteristics of the heart that's yielded to Jesus as king. And so when Jesus is being yielded to as, and reigning in your life, and he's yielded to as king in your life, you become, in this case, more merciful. And so you see that this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now here's the thing. People aren't natural this way. When someone becomes a Christian, the Bible teaches you become a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. The new has come. Old passes away. The new has come. If you're in Christ. And that being in Christ means being in relationship with Christ. If you have a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you become a new person. And with 
You get a new heart. The Old Testament explained it this way. God takes out the stony, hard heart and gives you a new heart of flesh, a, a tender heart to be molded to His will. And He actually puts your spirit, His spirit, excuse me, inside of you. And He says in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. Because we know we need His help to do that, right? We don't do a very good job of walking in His ways. So when He saves us, He puts His Spirit in us so that we can walk in His ways. And we don't do that perfectly in this life, but we, we begin a new arc with our life towards Him and towards obedience in Him. And so with that new heart comes new attitudes and new behaviors. We begin to relate to God differently, and we begin to relate to others differently because we're a new creation through faith in Christ. Now, our changed life can be evidenced by these beatitudes that we've been studying being expressed in our life. But these are also things the person undergoing gospel change, because it's not just a one-time thing, it's a continuous thing in your life, something we grow in, and they are things that we mature in. In other words, we still sin, and we still battle the sins that choke out these characteristics like pride and arrogance and selfishness and anger and lust and greed. These sorts of things choke out those beatitudes in our life. And so you might say the beatitudes are the marks of a believer, but they are also attributes we need to grow in and aspire to, and at times we fail in. Pastor Colin Smith illustrates this well in an article I read just this week. He talks about the beatitudes having roots, shoots, and fruits, right? Like a plant, right? You've got the roots in the ground, you've got the stem, that's the shoot, and then you've got the flower or the fruit that comes off that plant. And he says the roots of being poor in spirit and mourning our sin and being meekly submitted to and trusting God create in us that shoot of loving and longing for God's righteousness to do what's right in the eyes of God. It bring, and that brings about the fruits of mercy as we're going to see this morning and purity as we'll see next week and peacemaking. Smith likens them to the Beatitudes to rings that are suspended in the air. You know, like on the playground, you go out there and they've got the little rings that you can swing from, right? I'm sure everybody could do that right now if we went out there and tried, right? It's amazing the things you could do at eight that you can't do anymore. And um, you know, so imagine those rings suspended in the air, and they're in order. That, that Jesus gave, gave them to us for a reason. There's a reason we start poor in spirit and we end. We're no longer pursuing these things. There's something pursuing us, and it's persecution. And they're, and they're in this order, and, and Smith likens it to gaining momentum as you swing from one to the other, as you mature and as you grow in Christ, gaining momentum in the Christian life. And I found that illustration helpful this week because Christians should have the character traits that these Beatitudes display, but we should also grow in them and mature in them. They don't just mark our salvation, they encourage our growth. And when we struggle in one, as he says, you've got to go back to the beginning to pursue growth, right? When I fail in showing mercy, I've got to go back and realize, okay, I'm poor in spirit. I'm dependent on the Lord, and I need to mourn and repent of my sin, and I need to be teachable and moldable, and I need to hunger and thirst to do what God wants. And, and that's that same process over and over and over again in our life as we seek to grow, become more like Christ. Spiritual growth always starts with dependence on God, repentance of sin, submitting to God, and hungering to do what's right in God's eyes over and over and over again. And when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he's saying this is the mark of a heart yielded to Jesus as king, and also it is a spiritual fruit that every Christian needs to pursue and grow in. It's my hope that I'll be more merciful five years from now than I am today. It's my hope that I'm more merciful today than I was five years ago. We should be growing and we should be maturing. 
And the Beatitudes are not there to make us think, well, I just don't have the personality for these things. These are not personality traits. Sometimes we think that. Well, the poor in spirit, you know, some people, poor in spirit, they're, 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 they just walk around, they kind of pout all the time. That's exactly not what it means, right? The merciful, they're just, man, they're just real, they're just sweethearts as though the merciful are. They're just sweetie pies. They're real kind to everybody. They're, just, they're the nice people. That's not at all what he means. These, are, these aren't personality traits. This is supernatural change that takes place. No matter what your personality, when the gospel comes into your life, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and God begins to work in your life, He's going to make you a merciful person. So it's gospel change. And the Beatitudes aren't... To, we're not supposed to read these and think, you know what? I need to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I need to grunt harder and try harder and get some elbow grease into this and be more merciful. No, it's to make us show, it's show us and make us sense our need for God's grace and God's help and to continue to come back to Him poor in spirit because it's His Spirit that produces this fruit in our life. So Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. And that word blessed, we've said these last several weeks, can mean happy. It's probably best translated fortunate or favored. It means all is right between you and God. You're in a state of well-being, of happy bliss between you and God because God says so. God says so. And he says it's the merciful who are blessed. That Greek word for merciful carries the sense of compassion or leniency. It can also mean forgiveness. These are all ways that mercy manifests itself in our life. Did you know mercy is a key attribute of God? all the way back in the Old Testament. You might remember the story in the Old Testament of when God reveals himself to Moses, the whole, the whole passage where, where Moses is, is praying and seeking for God to show him his glory. Very dangerous prayer. Show me your glory. And this is what happens in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now notice there, just at first blush, you'll notice something. Being merciful doesn't mean excusing or not taking seriously or being unwilling to confront or deal with sin. doesn't mean that. Can't mean that. How do I know? Because here in the same passage, we see God is merciful and God deals with sin. So there's no conflict in God's nature. There's no conflict in our nature. In fact, being merciful is not supposed to prevent us. Sometimes one of the most merciful things we can do in someone's life is confront sin. And so there's no conflict there. God looks down on us and he sees us in our sin and the destruction that we've brought on ourselves, and where he could just consign us all to hell. He shows mercy. And that mercy motivated him, that love, and that mercy that flowed from his love caused him to send Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see that mercy is a key attribute of Jesus, God the Son. Hebrews 2.17, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, that's humanity, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Now that's the same Greek word that you see in the Beatitudes, to make propitiation for the sins of the people so that Jesus could, could satisfy God's wrath and so that Jesus could take God, our sin away and he could be, our sins could be judged in him. He had to become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is the supreme example of mercy. To be our high priest, he came and identified with us. 
to show compassion to us, to help us, to save us, to reach us. And that's the heart of the gospel, is that merciful Jesus has come, and he confronts sin head on, right? And he, he pays our sin debt. The Bible teaches very clearly that we've all offended God, that we're all sinners. No, God's not looking out at us and going, you're a worse sinner and you're a better sinner. God's look at, God looks out at humanity and says, apart from me, you're spiritually dead. You can't get more deader than dead, right? He says, you need, you need my grace. You need my mercy. And so God sends Jesus. Jesus bears our sin debt on the cross, pays for our sin, pays our penalty, takes the punishment, the wrath of God we deserve. And three days later, he rises from the dead. God displaying his mercy and displaying his grace and sending his son to die for us to be raised from the dead. And when we repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, point is, we're supposed to become like Christ. See, mercy is Christ-like. To show mercy is to be like Christ, and to not show mercy is to be unlike Christ. So it's important that we know what mercy is, right? So let's talk about that, the definition of mercy. We've seen it from God. We see it from Jesus, God the Son. What does he mean here in Matthew 5, 7? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a, that mercy here is a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering caused by sin. A sense of pity and a desire to relieve the suffering caused by sin. He called it pity plus action. <laughs> pity plus action. Pastor John MacArthur said it this way. I like this one. Compassion in action. Right? Just kind of a take on Lloyd-Jones' definition there. And you read all the commentators and all kind of say the same thing. It's this idea of this sense of compassion, this desire to show compassion and then acting on that desire. It's having the heart and the hands to relieve the hurt often caused by sin. Commentators will tell you grace deals mostly with sin itself. Mercy deals more with the consequences, the ramification, the destruction, the pain, the suffering, the alienation, and all that comes in this world because of sin, the consequences. And it will express itself, mercy will, in forgiveness towards those who wrong you, but also in other ways. It's all the ways compassion towards those affected by sin begins to show itself and express itself. Mercy is what moves us towards situations and people we may not normally move toward. Now, don't miss that. I think that's the heart of it. It's what moves us toward situations and people we would normally not necessarily move towards. Where sin brings isolation and where sin brings hurt and where human nature is to move away from those sorts of things, mercy causes us to move towards them, towards those people, towards those situations. It compels us. It's this sense of feeling compelled to act on behalf of another. It's that part of you that says, you know, i got enough problems on my own, but i got to deal with their problems too because I just, I just have to because God showed mercy to me. You know, it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a sense. It's, a, it's that compassion in action. It wells up inside of you. It's a compellingness inside your spirit to move into a situation or into the life of another. When Cannon, our son, was three, just back last year, I remember one day we were in a store and looking for something, and they you know, always have music playing in the stores. This past weekend we went in a store and there was no music playing. It was the weirdest thing ever. It was apocalyptic. I looked at Christy. I said, you know, they really need some music in here. I don't want to buy anything, right? I mean, it's, just, it's kind of creepy, right? It's like, hitting, it's like muting the TV and watching like a dance show or something. You realize how silly it all looks. And so the music's playing and whatever it was, and Cannon's in the stroller, and he's wanting to get out. We're like, no, you got to sit down. And finally, he just gets frustrated. He looks at his mom. He says, I've got to dance my feet. That's what he's, exact quote, right? I got to dance my feet, right? And so we, 
what you going to do, man? You know, dance your feet, you know? So he goes off dancing, you know? He gets that from his mom. He don't get that from me. But had to dance. He, you know, what was he saying? I'm just, you know, this music's doing something to me. I just kind of feel compelled. I've got, I'm supposed to dance. Right? I like this song here for whatever reason. And that's the way mercy works. It's when God's love has been shed in your heart, when God's mercy has been poured into your heart, it wells up inside of you. And to use Cannon's words, you got to dance your feet, right? You just, you, it moves you towards situations, towards people. It moves you into action. It moves you past feeling and past pity and past compassion the way we think about it and think of it as compassion in action. That's the definition of mercy. Well, what are the displays of mercy? Well, it expresses itself when we forgive, when we help, when we show generosity, those are just a few of the ways. Let me give you some scripture. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Compassion and forgiveness. You see them going together there in that passage? You know, the Greek word in Matthew 5.7.4, mercy, can, can just be translated forgiveness. And the Bible calls us to be forgiving to one another, but it's, it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that in this word. It's also a, can be shown and displayed in helping and showing generosity. Let me give you a passage from Matthew 25 and an illustration Jesus used in Matthew 25 verses 34 through 36 about the judgment day to come. Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Jesus goes on in the story, and they, you know, they're looking at him, and they're like, when did, when did we see that? We don't remember seeing you and doing those things. He said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And another group over here gets consigned to hell, and, they, and he says, you didn't clothe me, you didn't feed me, you didn't visit me. And when they go, when did we ever see you? Jesus goes, as often as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Now we're going to talk about this here in just a minute, but what Jesus is not saying there is this is some way that we pay our way into heaven or earn our way into heaven. What he is saying there, as much as what he's saying here, is that there are certain ways that a changed heart of somebody that believes the gospel, that it is supposed to manifest itself outwardly in our lives. And so there we see compassion in action in terms of caring and helping. Sometimes mercy is food and clothing. It's, sometimes it's your presence, a listening ear. Sometimes it's hospitality and a welcoming spirit to the lonely or to a stranger. It manifests itself in a lot of ways. I'm reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Some guys, Jesus, they're talking about what it, who your neighbor is and what it means to love your neighor. And, and, and the guy asked him about inheriting eternal life and and Jesus asked him what the law said. And he says, love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, man, you really get it. You really understand what the law is. And, and the guy looks at Jesus, and the Bible says to justify himself. He looked at Jesus, and he said, but who's my neighbor? In other words, where's the loophole? Like, who's the person that I have to do this to? And Jesus looks at him and tells this story. He says, there was this man that was traveling on a street, basically, that he shouldn't have been traveling on. It was a part of town that you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally go that way. It was, it was a difficult part of town for him to be in. But he went down that road for whatever reason, and he gets jumped, and he gets mugged, and he gets beat up, and he gets, he gets robbed, and he just gets left for dead right there, bleeding out right there on the side of the street. And a couple of spiritual guys walk by. One's a Levite, and he walks by, and he sees the guy, and he literally goes to the other side of the street walks around him. 
Then the priest comes along. Surely the priest will help him. He didn't have time to do that. He had other important things to do like pray and stuff like that. And so he walks around the guy, goes to the other side of the street, and he walks around him. And then a Samaritan comes along. Now, Samaritan, Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the Jews were hated by the Samaritans. That was a long, deep story that we don't really have time for this morning. But just know there was a lot of racial and religious conflict going on right there at that time between those two parties, between those two people. And he says the Samaritan comes along and he helps the guy. He stops and bandages up his wounds and cleans him up and actually takes him to an inn and puts him up for a night and and pays his medical bills and takes care of him. And Jesus looks at the guy and he said, now who showed compassion, right? The Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan? And the guy's like, Samaritan, you know, probably didn't like the story. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. In other words, the guy says, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Just go be a neighbor. It's not about who my neighbor is. It's am I a neighbor? A neighbor is not someone out there. It's who I'm supposed to be, right? And we see a picture there of compassion in action, as the quote said. Only the Samaritan had true compassion. The other people might have felt sorry for him, but only one person really showed mercy. And the merciful are those who show kindness and forgiveness and leniency and compassion to those who need it. It's the person who, though hating sin, does love the sinner. Sometimes people's own sins put them in a place where they need help and presence and mercy. Sometimes someone else's sin puts people in a place where they need that. Sometimes it's just the broken nature, the fallen nature of the world we live in and the broken systems we live in because this world is broken and it's not perfect and it's full of sin that a lot of that kind of stuff goes on. And for whatever reason, we all have times in our life where we need mercy. And mercy showers know this. They know we live in a broken world. And this is what a mercy shower knows. A mercy shower knows I'm a sinner and who am I to withhold forgiveness for the one who sinned against me? Who am I to withhold help from the one who needs it? Who am I to withhold my presence from the one that could do good? Who am I to withhold compassion? Who am I to do that when God's done all this for me? Because, but for the grace of God, right, there go I or there I'll go again. And most of us sort of really know what this means. We don't have to spend a lot of time talking about defining this word because we get it. It isn't hard. Jesus didn't mean for this to be confusing. He's not playing word tricks with you. We know what mercy is and what it isn't. And mercy moves us towards those situations and it moves us towards people that we wouldn't always naturally be inclined to to get into those situations and those people. We wouldn't always be inclined to help or to forgive. And sometimes it moves us to listen, sometimes to serve, sometimes to forgive. It's always moving us to love. It's always moving us towards these things. So mercy can show itself in many ways. Let me give you some. Mercy can be forgiving the one who wronged you. Mercy can be feeding the hungry person in a fallen world. Mercy can be visiting the sick with your presence. It can be hospitality towards the stranger. Generously supporting a crisis pregnancy center, for instance. Listening to someone who's lonely and isolated and struggling. Praying for someone. Praying for someone who's suffering or in pain or that's far from God. Inviting someone to church who needs to hear the gospel or needs to be a part of Christian community or simply sharing the gospel as a means of mercy. You you can plant churches in the name of mercy. Do mission trips in the name of mercy. There's a lot of things that we can do motivated by mercy. Let me ask you. When you think about your life and you examine your life, do you find yourself building fences around your life more than you build bridges into your life? It's a human nature to put a a fence up. Protect myself from anything and everything. But mercy causes us to build bridges that we can walk across in the lives of others and they can walk across into our lives. And if we're building more 
fences than we're building bridges, there may be a mercy problem. See, people without mercy are unforgiving when they're wrong. Oh, man, they hold a grudge. They know how to hold a grudge. They know how to remind you. They know how to hold it against you. They know how to kill the relationship. They know how to isolate you. They know how to give you the cold shoulder and the stiff arm and then never forgive and then never forget. Oh, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget, right? Which is usually a nice way of saying, I'll never forgive you. They're super critical, harping on the shortcomings of others without ever being able to applaud anything. They always see the negative in people. Super critical of everybody. Can't applaud anything in, in the person. They're unhelpful to the hurting, compassionless, unmoved by the ramifications that sin brings into the lives of others. Harsh towards others in their plot. Well, they deserve it. They asked for it. <laughs> you, you know what they, what they did. You know what they did to her. You know what they did to him. You know, I mean, they asked for it, right? I'm glad to see them get what they deserve. Right? A merciless spouse always nags their spouse about their past failures, especially if they messed up bad. Just at the right time, they know how to pull that thing out of the box. Lay it right there on the table and say, yeah, but conversation over. Merciless. A merciless parent sees their kids' mistakes and never sees their progress. A merciless boss can't see the person in front of them for the bottom line that they serve. And a merciless employee only sees their boss as a tyrant and never as a neighbor. Merciless. And Jesus says it's only the merciful that receive mercy. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So let's talk about the distribution of mercy. Jesus is not saying that by showing mercy, you earn God's mercy. The Bible is very clear. You're saved by grace through faith, and that alone. And the merciful, the thing is, they receive mercy from God because their showing mercy displays that they have, in fact, been saved by grace. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy because the fact that they're showing mercy shows that they already did receive mercy and they're going to receive more mercy. Because they've experienced mercy, they show mercy, and they're the ones that will ultimately receive mercy in the final judgment. See, because mercy is a gospel fruit, true mercy must come to us from God and flow through us. I think about it like a water hose, right? I can go to Lowe's and I can buy a water hose and think that I'm going to go water a lawn or water some plants, but that's not going to happen unless I do something very important, right? I've got to plug that thing up to the source, right? I've, I've got to hook it into the, a faucet and one that works. And I turn the water on and it flows through the hose because the hose is merely an instrument, right, through which it flows through. And we are instruments through which God's mercy flows. And we receive it, and we're made merciful, and we show mercy to others. And when there's no mercy in our lives, there's a connection problem. In fact, because believers have received mercy, we're actually responsible for showing mercy. Responsible for showing mercy. In Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter came up to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? That seemed like a lot, right? That's a lot. Of, that's, I mean, that's almost as many lives as a cat. That's a lot, right? Seven times? And Jesus said to you, I say to you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, was Jesus' point for him to get a bigger notebook? No, right? His point was, you just keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. And see... Peter, to translate what Peter was asking is this. How merciful do I have to be to people that I don't want to be merciful to? How much is enough? How much forgiveness is enough? How much compassion is enough? How much mercy? How much is enough? And Jesus goes, what? And then he told him a story. 
He says, there was this king, and he decided to go collect all of his debts. And he calls in this one servant who owed him 10,000 talents. That was a lot of money back then. And it comes into him, and he says, I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your family. I mean, you're you're done, man. You don't have the money, and I'm I'm collecting today. And the guy gets down on his knees, and he begs with him, and he pleads with him. Just give me a little more time. It's a little more time to come up with the money. And Jesus says something very interesting. He says the king, the master, has pity on him. He said he has pity on him. And it says he forgives the debt. In other words, he showed him more compassion than he asked for. More mercy than he asked. All he asked was some more time. He says, I'll do better than that. I'll just wipe the debt clean. Because he had pity on him. In other words, he was able to kind of see himself in this person. He, He was able to identify with him and go, you know what? That could be me next time, and he had pity on him. So this is what happens. That guy who had the $10,000 debt relief, he goes out lollygagging around, and he bumps into old Joe down the street who owes him 10 bucks. 10 denarii. And he pulls him up against the wall, you know, and he says, you haven't given me my money. Give me my money, or I'm going to have you locked in jail for, not, for, for stealing, for not paying me back. And the guy begs him, gets down on his knees, oh, please just give me a little bit more time, a little bit more time for the money. And the guy has him locked up. He says, no, I need my money. Sends him off. And some of the other servants who had seen the mercy that had been shown to this guy by the master, by the king, saw it. It disturbed them as it should. And they go and they tell the king, you won't believe what old what's-his-name did, you know? And the king is angry. And in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us what happens in verses 32 through 34. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. Calls him wicked. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, this is why the Bible says if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. It's not because your forgiveness earns your forgiveness. It's because your forgiveness manifests it. That when you forgive others, you show that you've been forgiven. It's not, you're not earning it. It's the fruit of the gospel being played out in your life. The lack of mercy, our lack of willingness to forgive others, demonstrates one has never experienced God's mercy and God's forgiveness, that we've never tasted it and really understand what it is. We don't really have a clue the depths of our depravity and the death and and just shame that God pulled us out of in Christ. We We don't have a clue about it. And as those who have received God's mercy, we are expected to show mercy. God's mercy toward us begets our mercy towards others. And those who do not bear the fruit of mercy and forgiveness in this life will not receive mercy in the judgment to come, Jesus says. In fact, Jesus' half-brother James wrote this in James 2.13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me ask you. Are you one who has received God's mercy and God's forgiveness in your life? Have you experienced the kindness of God in Christ Jesus? If so, shouldn't you be the one who is extending the mercy you've experienced to others? As a believer who wants to grow and mature in Christ, if you want to guard against a calloused heart, a cold heart, if you want to continue to grow and till up your heart and become more merciful, if you notice unmerciful tendencies in your life that you want to do, what do you do? Let me give you three things. How to guard and cultivate a merciful heart. Number one, repent of heart attitudes that choke out mercy. 
Repent, constantly repent of heart attitudes that choke out mercy. We talk a lot about repentance here because as Martin Luther said, it's the whole Christian life. We're always repenting. Christians are repenters. Christians know that we're sinners and we sin, we repent. We're always doing business with God about our sin. We're not sinless people, but we are people that desire and long to sin less. And pride and selfishness gets in our heart and chokes out mercy. They hinder forgiveness and kindness and mercy. They poison the tree that mercy grows from. Let me ask you, when's the last time you recognized pride or selfishness in your life? When's the last time you thought, man, that was kind of proud or that was, that was kind of selfish of me? That was kind of self-involved of me? When's the last time? Well, let me ask you, if it's been a really long time, now here's my question. Do you think it's been a really long time since you've been that self-interested and that selfish and that proud? Or could it be that the weeds have so grown up the weeds of selfishness and the weeds of pride have so grown up around your heart, you don't even really realize it anymore. It's been a really long time since you dug around in there and did some real repentance. If we want to grow in these fruits, we have to go back to the roots, right? Remember we talked about that? Admit our poverty of spirit, our need for God, our, need, our dependence on Him, mourn our sin. When we aren't bearing fruit like we should, repentance is always step one. Proverbs says, guard your heart. From it with all diligence, with all vigilance, because from it flows the springs of life. In other words, what comes from the heart affects everything about your life. And one of the best ways you can guard your heart is repent when you see things growing there that aren't supposed to be growing there. And to root that stuff out. Repent of hard attitudes that choke out mercy. Number two, recall the mercy you've been shown. Recall the mercy you've been shown. Doesn't it make sense if we extend mercy because we receive mercy? That the way to grow as a mercy shower is to meditate on, to recall, to remember, to think on, and constantly recount what we've received. To just reaccount it all the time. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When, when, when Paul's writing the Ephesians, man, what... Before he gets into living out the Christian life, he deals with let's remember what's happened to you. Let's recount God's mercy. Let's recall God's mercy in your life. And Christians need to daily remind ourselves that we were spiritually dead. We were enemies of God. We were rebels. We were the worst kinds of enemies. And God showed us mercy. We're failing in compassion towards our neighbors or our coworkers or our spouse. We need to think about what we deserved and what we got. God think about the good Samaritan and realize that in that story before you can be the good Samaritan you've got to realize that you're the dead guy on, bleeding the death guy on the street that Jesus the ultimate good Samaritan picked you up bandaged up your wounds and made you better so if we look at that story and all we think is well I got to go out and be the good Samaritan you'll it will never happen and, until you realize that you're bleeding out and that Jesus cared for you you'll never be able You'll never be able to be the good Samaritan in the story. We need to recall. So when we take the Lord's Supper together periodically, we're recalling God's mercy. When we read the Word of God that constantly points us to the cross of Jesus, we are remembering and recalling God's mercy. When we sit under gospel preaching like you're doing today, you're recalling God's mercy. When we sing gospel songs, we're recalling God's mercy. When we think on and share the gospel with others, these are all ways that we recall the gospel in our lives over and over and over again. We need to recall the mercy that we've been shown. And number three, 
we need to reserve some margin in our lives for mercy. Do you have time in your life for people? Do you have time to listen, time to serve, time to be there? If we're not careful, our lives will be one event and one thing and one routine after another. We'll have no time to do the things that Jesus cares most about because we're too busy. And churches have to be careful. We have to make sure we're not filling people's schedules up with stuff that aren't even the main thing. More meetings than mercy. Jesus made time for mercy. In Mark 6, 31 through 34, let me read you this story. It's on the screen. Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and he said this to the disciples, they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So in other words, this is vacation time. This is staff retreat. They're tired. They haven't eaten in a while. They've been just pouring themselves out. They need a break. Even Jesus needed a break, right? He was human, right? So they go and they, they get away. Verse 33, many saw them going and recognized them. Hey, there they are. It's Jesus and the boys. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They beat them to the spot, right? They had this nice spot picked out on the beach. They get there and everybody's there. The people are trying to get away from When Jesus went ashore and saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. He was okay with being interrupted when he was tired and hungry. We need to leave enough margin in our lives that we're okay with it. We need to make time to be able to act and not just feel. Sometimes we're so busy we don't even feel things anymore. See, our good intentions never helped anybody, never forgave anybody. Our good intentions never relieved anyone from the guilt and shame they feel for sinning against us or offending us or reached out to anyone. Good intentions don't do anything. It's action. Remember the quote, compassion and action? I was reading a, story, a book here lately called The Art of Neighboring. It tells the story of a, a man, a friend of the author's, who one day was in his neighborhood and he noticed this old house that was just getting grown up, the 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 garage door was starting to fall off. There were cars sitting in the driveway that weren't running. And it, it, the, thing, the place was just going downhill. And it, and it was just kind of becoming this eyesore on the community. So he, he called and, and had them ticketed. Had them write them up. And a little while later, he was outside talking to another neighbor. And a neighbor said, oh, yeah, did you hear about old Sally, whatever her name is? He said, no, what? He goes, oh, yeah, she, you know her. She, she lives alone, and her mom's been real sick. She's got cancer. And she's been spending all of her time 24-7. Had to quit her job just to be at her mom's bedside, you know, to, to care for her health. Of course, just guilt floods this guy, right? He's had this woman ticketed. So this is what he did. He goes and he rallies all of his neighbors and they fix her garage door and they get her car fixed and they, they begin to, to meet her needs. Because he could have just felt bad, right? He could have just apologized, maybe even paid the ticket that he got her. But see, mercy has action behind it. And he created the margin in his life to act. You know, I'm guessing this morning as we think on these things, for some, a situation or a person has come to your mind. And could it be that God wants you to show mercy to that person? Maybe there's someone you need to forgive and stop holding a grudge against. Maybe someone you need to be there for or to help or to offer your presence to. Who do you know today that needs mercy? And maybe today you're not a merciful person because you've never received the mercy of Christ. Or maybe you've never even really thought about whether you're a merciful person or not, but you've come in here today and you've heard the gospel and you've realized that you've never truly repented of your sin and believed the gospel. 
And today can be the day you experience the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's real simple. Once you recognize your need and once you know that you're a sinner, once you realize the gap that's between you and God and there's nothing you could do, there's nothing you can earn, there's no way you can achieve yourself or work yourself into God's favor, it's only through faith in Jesus that if you'll repent of your sin and believe on Christ who died in your place and rose again, that you can become a new creature in Christ. That God can begin to work in your heart and the gospel fruit that we're talking about, the Beatitudes can begin to grow in your life. Not perfectly, but they'll begin to grow. And one day, they will be exhibited in all their glory in another time when Jesus comes back. So let me ask you today, do you need to receive the mercy of Christ today? Do you need to extend the mercy of God to somebody, the mercy to someone else in your life today? Search your heart this morning. Pray about it. Ask God to reveal those things to you. Let's pray together.